1: greater love has no one than this, and to lay down his life for his friends. This is the love that Jesus is talking about. This is the kind of love that Jesus wants to have, one for another. A kind of love that Jesus wants to have. He's saying, that's the kind of love I have for you. I'm going to lay down my life to prove this love to you. And this is the way I want you to love one another. Selfless, serving, sanctifying, steadfast, and sacrificing giving love, where you will lay down your life one to another.
0: God's desire for you is that you realize the love He has for you, and that you also extend that type of love toward others. Today, Pastor Dave will be exhorting you to have unconditional and sacrificial love towards others. Jesus said, By this, all will know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 13, as he continues his message, The Disciples' Responsibility. You are assured.
1: From this one verse, all things flow. So, as we read these verses, we find that this one verse is the only love one another or one another verse that comes directly from the mouth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This comes directly from His mouth. We always say, from our lips to God's ears, or from God's ears to our, or from God's lips to our ears, may we have ears to hear. May we have ears to hear. This one verse shows us a disciple's responsibility. And as I said, from this one verse, everything else flows forth. But if we don't have this one verse down, Scripture says we could be like clanging cymbals. We could be like hard things coming out. We could be just impossible. We've been studying John 13. And Jesus has shown the sovereign servant by washing the disciples' feet. He has shown the sovereign servant by serving his disciples and even Judas. And now he becomes the master teacher once again. Ever since he identified Judas as the traitor and Judas got up and left, Jesus is now doing one thing with his guys, his boys, the 11 that are left. He's preparing them for his crucifixion his arrest, his resurrection, and the ultimate return to his father. He has much to tell them, but he has so little time. So little time. The first thing Jesus told them was now. Now is the time. The hour had come. He, Jesus, the Son of Man, would be glorified now. Now God would be glorified. Jesus was telling his disciples that now the work would be finished. The time was now. The time had come. This is the reason I've come to the earth now. But Jesus knew that upon his death, the disciples would be devastated. He knew they would be confused. He knew that they would be in despair. He knew that they would possibly scatter. He knew that they would be vulnerable to outsiders, and he wanted them to be as close a knitted group as they possibly could. And this could happen without love for one another. It would be the love for one another that would hold them together as a close-knit group. Love for Jesus and love for one another. That would hold them together. And we begin looking at this perfect love in verse 33 this morning. I love the way Jesus talks to his disciples. And you can take it personally. I love the way Jesus talks to us. Listen to 33a. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer don't you hear a tender heart? Don't don't you just hear an intimacy there? Little children. This just touches me. The Greek word here, technion, it always inclines a care or a concern. It's a word of tender mercy. And Jesus was one who always showed tender mercy. He always showed tender mercy, and one of the greatest examples of that was the poor woman caught in an issue of blood for 12 years. She knew in her heart that all she had to do was touch the hem of his robe, and she would be clean. She knew that for years and years and years, every time she walked down the street, unclean, unclean, they'd throw rocks at her and spit upon her and walk on the other side of the street. She never heard a kind word, possibly from her parents, possibly from her children, from anybody. She never heard a kind word. And she somehow gets through the crowd. I don't know how she did it. Remember, they parted when they saw her. And she reaches up and touches the hem of his robe. And he turns around and said, who touched me? The disciples said, who touched you? There's a thousand people around you. Who didn't touch you? No, power has gone out of me. And he looks right down at her. And what does he say? Why did you touch me? No. He goes, daughter. She had never been called that in years. A tender, tender voice reaches out and says, daughter, daughter. I've never seen such faith. He, he reacts in such a passionate and loving way and a caring way. And this is how Jesus speaks to us. He never scolds. He speaks to us in a tender voice. And I'll be the first one to say, and he can correct me because he usually does, but I'll be the first one to say, all those times you read in the Bible when he's saying, oh, ye of little faith to his disciples, he's got a smile on his face. Oh, ye of little faith. He's just smiling away like you guys are going to get it one time, but right now you're kind of stupid. Oh, ye of little faith. You know. But he's so tender and he's so joyful. This is, you know, the world doesn't want to see this type of Jesus. I want to see the manly man, but he is a manly man, but he was also tender and caring and concerned. He said this in concern. He was talking to them about being glorified. They have no idea what he was talking about. What do you mean you're going to be glorified? They didn't have any full comprehension. In fact, even on the day of his ascension, they thought he was going to renew the kingdom. On the day of his ascension, right before he goes up to be with the father, the disciples say, are you going to restore the kingdom now, Lord? No, no. They were still hoping for a crowning. But Jesus is now making it clear when he says, I'm only going to be with you in a little for a little while. Within mere hours, he will be arrested. The trial and, and crucifixion will be underway. And he knows that they had relied on him for everything. He knows that their hopes for the immediate setting up of the kingdom were going to be devastated. So in the most tenderest of terms, he's trying to prepare them for the calamity that's going to befall them. He's trying to prepare them for what is about to happen in their lives. I think it's so important that Jesus prepares us for these things before they come. He prepares our heart with his love. He prepares us heart When we are strong inward in that love, we are strong Look at the rest of 33. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. He's basically saying, remember when I said to the Jews, I'm not going to be here, and you can seek me, and you're not going to find me? Remember I said to them, well, you can't find me either. You can't come. But he wasn't really saying you can't come. Because to the Jews, he said, you're going to die in your sins. He was saying, you can't come now. You can't come now. I have work for you to do. And... In the translation of the phrase, where I am going, you cannot come, the Jews thought he was going to kill himself. He was referring to his death, by the way, but certainly not by killing himself. He was referring to his death on the cross. He knew that the disciples were going to be afraid. He knew that this would be a most trying time for them. He knew that his goal was to unify them and build them up inwardly so that we could stand the persecution that was coming from outside forces. And he said he wanted them to be tightly bonded together. So he doesn't even give his his disciples a chance to respond. He doesn't even give them a chance to respond. He just goes right into it and said, I have a new command for you. Here's a new command. Look at 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Interesting, if you look at the verbiage in the Greek, the word for new implies fresh. Fresh, not worn out. It's not recent. It's different. A fresh love. It isn't a commandment that was just invented. He's taken an old commandment that has been around since the law, all through scriptures, and he's using it in a different way. And that's what Jesus does. When the lawyer asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, how did he respond? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He declared to him that this was a summation of all the law and the prophets. But sadly, through the centuries of selfishness, through the centuries of self-centeredness, and because of all the cures and cares of the world, The Jews had forgotten this. So they cast this commandment aside. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want to reinvent it. Love one another. What a concept. Love one another, especially in this day and age. when all the focus on this day and age is self. Self. Let me tell you, let me talk about me for a while. When I'm done talking, you can tell me about me. The focus is always on self. What a concept! Jesus said, love one another. Jesus gives these men the greatest responsibility that he could possibly give them. The responsibility to show love one to another. And folks, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is not a suggestion. He didn't stand there and say, you know, you probably should love one another. Might not be a bad idea if you love one another. Yeah, you know, you would probably get a little further if you loved one another. No, he said... Love one another. This is a commandment. A commandment. Not a suggestion. There will come a time when Jesus will say to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do as I say? Are you calling him Lord, Lord today, but not doing what he says? It's a heavy load, guys. He knows that in a matter of time, they're going to need this love. When Jesus is taking from them and the outspoken, bold Peter falls in front of them, everybody assumed that Peter might have been in leadership. We don't know. The only thing that would bring them back together was their love for Jesus and their love for each other. That's the only thing that was going to reunite them. But Jesus isn't satisfied with that. Not my Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. I love it. He's not satisfied with that because he says, love one another. Then he goes, oh, as I have loved you. Oh, wait a minute. As I have loved you. We sang this morning, nobody loves me like you do, Jesus. Nobody does it at all. I can't love that way. So Jesus says, here you go, guys. Love one another. Oh, yeah, as I've loved you. That's right. It could be a deal breaker. How has Jesus loved them? How has Jesus loved them? How has Jesus loved you? Well, let me tell you. First of all, he loved you with a selfless love. He always put others first. He loved them by serving love. He just finished washing their feet. They saw him washing each other's feet. They saw him doing that. They loved them. Now, we're talking about the house of God here. We're talking about each other. He loved them with a steadfast love. It says he loved them to the end. His love never died. He loved them with a sanctifying love. It was a holy love, a love based on God. And he's going to love them with a sacrificial love when he goes to the cross and hangs there and dies for each one of them and each one of you. Whenever we get to John 15, he says in verse 13 of John 15, speaking on the same topic, he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. This is the love that Jesus is talking about. This is the kind of love that Jesus wants to have one for another, a kind of love that Jesus wants to have. He's saying, that's the kind of love I have for you. I'm going to lay down my life to prove this love to you. And this is the way I want you to love one another, selfless, serving, sanctifying, steadfast, and sacrificing, giving love, where you will lay down your life one to another. Jesus said, love each other like that. Why? My goodness, Jesus was not satisfied with the love that they showed one to another. The love they showed one another is the Greek word phileo, which is Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. It's a brotherly love. They couldn't love any higher than that. They couldn't love any stronger than that. Jesus uses a brand new word. It's a brand new word with a brand new meaning. And it's going to have more meaning by the power of the cross. With the coming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is going to talk about in a couple chapters, they would have a new power in their lives, and they would be able to love this way. He uses the Greek word agape. The word agape, it's unnoted in most classical translations of Greek, but in the New Testament, it is used as the word love. Paul used it in the great love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. I had a couple here last week And someone repeated these at their weddings. I wonder how many of you had these words repeated at your wedding. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. Does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Nor does it seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Love never fares. Now you've heard the old story. Put your name there. David suffers long. David is kind. Wait a minute. How many strikes do I get? Put your name there. But put Jesus' name there. Put Jesus' name there. Jesus suffers long as kind. Jesus does not envy, doesn't parade himself, is not provoked, thinks no evil. You know, the whole thing. Take an honest look. Take an honest look. Be brutally honest with yourself because God already knows what's in your heart. Be brutally honest with yourself. And if you're brutally honest with yourself, you will confess to the Lord right now, I can't do this. I can't do it. It is impossible for me in my human nature to do this kind of love. I do not have the capacity. When you recognize that you can't do this, This is the first step in beginning to love like this. To know that you can't do it by yourself, to know that if it's going to be done, it will have to be done by a power, an outside force, if you will. Now you're on the path to true discovery of how this love works. Why? Because I can't generate this love. I can't emulate this love. I can't even imitate this love. Why then would Jesus command me to do something that he knows darn well that I cannot do? Why would he even do that? Well, there's a lot of things he's asked us to do that he kind of knows that we can't do. (laughs) But every time he asks us to do something, he gives us the power to obey it. He gives us the power. Right before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1, He looked at the disciples and he said, wait in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost portions of the world. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that this kind of love can become a reality in your life, in my life, in this life of this church. In fact, when the Holy Spirit is control of my life, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And everything else flows from that. What? Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. They all flow out of the love that the Holy Spirit has for me. But now out of this inward strength that is given to me by the Holy Spirit comes an outward focus to each other. I'm going to share that love now with you one to another. We are going to share that love one to another. Others then will recognize this love. They will look in. They will see this love. And they'll say things like, you guys, what a loving church. Look at the way you love each other. What's going on? Something's going to happen. Look at verse 35, in chapter 13. By this, by what? This love by this love, by this demonstration of love that you are showing one to another, all, not a few, not a smidge, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Wow. You wanna show the world that you're disciples of Jesus Christ? It's not how big your church is. It's not how big your youth program is or your choir. It's not how big or how glamorous your parking lot is. It's not how much food you serve. It's how you love one another. That is the identifying thing that makes you a disciple of Jesus Christ. People look into that and they see it. And they want it. In John's first epistle, he declares this, that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. We know we've passed from death to life. We know we've been born again when we have this kind of love for one another. How do we know we know? Because we say it in our lives. John also said, if any man says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And again, John said, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, who does not practice righteousness, is not of God. Neither is he who does not love his brother. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The proof whereby I am a child of God and the proof to the world that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ is the way we show love one to another. And that's what it's saying here. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. But that's what I'm reading here. A true love, not some fake trumped up love. A true, honest love and caring desire. And the other proof that I seek as proof... Is invalidated if I don't have this love. Read your love chapter. Read at the end. Read the beginning of 12. Read all 13. 14. Read the love chapter. If I don't have these things, and if I have these but not love, nothing. The world wants us to love the way it loves. And they've written many, many songs about it. The Warwick. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing. That, whatever. Well, she was right. The world needs this kind of love. The Beatles, all you need is love. Yeah, they were right. The Beatles were right. Even Captain and Tennille had it right. Love will keep us together. They had it right. They had it right. Who had it wrong? Tina Turner. When she said, what's love got to do with it? Well, Tina, according to the scripture, everything. It's got everything to do with it. We can't love the way the world loves. We've been called out of the world. We've become separate. We can't love the way the world loves. But that's the way they expect us. But when they see this love happening in a situation like this, they are marvelled. They are incredible. Weren't you once a a gambler? Yeah. Weren't you once this? Weren't you once that? Yeah, yeah. But you guys get along. You love each other. Yeah, why? Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ is the common denominator. Yeah. Jesus Christ first. Love is second. I want us... To continue to be a loving church. I want us to continue to be inwardly strong in the love that Christ has given us so much on the cross that he died in our stead, that he paid the price we couldn't pay, that he went there freely and willingly for you, that you might have this love. And then I want us to take that love and I want to share it one to another and show that love to a world out there that has no idea what's going on. Let them see that love and they'll know. And it won't be about, oh, look what we did here. No, that's not the point. It's all about him and what he did on the cross. It's always about him, but will be always about him. It can never be about us. Our love is a residue of him. It's a result of his love on the cross. The world will know that we are his disciples. And if the world knows that we are his disciples, possibly the world will know him. By the love that we share one to another. One to another. Think about that. Think about that. You are a sure hope.
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab.